Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fucks What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Ricans? What the fuck, Tuckians? What the fuck, Anucks? Enough. Enough what the fucking. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. How are you feeling? I feel all right. Hey, and I want to, before I get started, I, well, let me say my guest today is Kurt Brauneler. He is uh, the host of the new show on IFC Bunk. Also a great comedian. Very funny guy who I knew very little about. And as usual, within the conversation, I was like, holy shit, this guy's got a life thing. He's got some stuff. Uh, great talk with Kurt. Hope you enjoy that. I want to also thank everybody that downloaded the Mark and Tom show, uh, Tom Sharpling and myself. I think we're going to try to do it uh, fairly regularly, like maybe uh, maybe once a month or, or, or something. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for the first one because I, I build this as a second Mark and Tom show. The first one's available for a free download in the WTF feed. You can go to WTFpod.com or, or on iTunes or whatever you want. But the new Mark and Tom show... Uh, you got to go to iTunes and search for uh, Mark and Tom Show, or you can search for my name, Mark Marin, or Tom Sharpling, and you'll see it in our album sections. Uh, you can also get it right at the uh, right at WTFPod.com. There's a link there. It's $2.99, and Tom and I feel comfortable with that. We've provided the world with a lot of free content. We love talking to each other, uh, and and it was exciting. It's a, it's exciting to uh, to work with another broadcaster and uh, shoot the shit for a while. So. Uh, do that if you'd like. Uh, me and Tom are very happy with it. Also, I'll be at Bonnaroo tomorrow and Saturday. I don't know what that means. It seems like a large thing. It's at a farm. It's in Tennessee. Uh, do some research on the internet. And uh, next weekend, what we what what's the date on that? Saturday the 16th, I'll be in Chicago at the Just for Laughs thing with uh, Sarah Silverman and uh, I think Natasha Legero and Reggie Watts and Chris Hardwick. Uh, doing a thing again uh, you can go to wtfpod.com get the link or go see if that's sold out and what's happening with that so i was going through my stuff i've been doing that i, I think i spoke to you a little bit about that the uh, last time uh, i was on this microphone the clutter is going i had my whole house painted i had everything painted i painted over my ex-wife's uh, uh decisions on color finally i threw away a lot of my ex-wife's decisions on uh on furniture finally clearing out the ghost didn't really think about it much. I didn't uh, really put it together that it would have an effect on me. But man, my entire house, I just painted it a nice creamy white, which goes nice with the type of plaster that I have and the curved ceiling in my little two-bedroom hut up here on the hill. And uh, there's nothing on the walls. I pulled all the clutter out and going through all my shit. The house is basically empty except for the bare essentials. And I'm like, holy shit, this is where it's supposed to be. But I'm still digging it. I know eventually I should put something up on the wall or it's going to look like uh, it's going to look very temporary. But I'll start cluttering it up again, I'm sure. But I've been going through a lot of shit. I went, I'm going through all these old DVDs and shit. And I found this whole box of Dean Martin variety shows. And I threw one in. What the fuck happened to show business? Could somebody explain that to me? Man, did they look like they were having a great time. What a grand undertaking. The Dean Martin show. He just comes out. He sings, cracks a few jokes. He's laughing his balls off with all his buddies. Bob Newhart. Uh, uh, who was that? Phil Harris, his band leader, did a bit that was hilarious. Uh, Peter Sellers. I mean, all these cats. 
what happened to television man i mean it was so it was classy but just because they were who they were you knew it was sort of seedy underneath there you know this was a vegas uh crew but uh but man they were playing to everybody they were playing to a you know a, a nation full of eyes song and dance men doing the jokes but i just i you know i grew up seeing some of that and it was so fun and so warm and so you know it had such context now i just don't Sometimes I do not, I don't know what the fuck happened to television. It seems like television was gang raped, literally gang raped. And now, uh, you know, all of television is just a, a victim of some brutal raping. And now we're dealing with the sort of desperate manifestations of a, of a, of a damaged uh, medium, just sorted, completely sorted. There's a lot of choices, but most of them are tasteless. Some of them are, are disturbing on purpose and just, you know, just fucking craven. Not Dean Martin. Memories are made of this. I mean, what? I I want to be a song and dance man. I'm keeping those DVDs. A lot of other shit's going. A lot of books went out. I am a fucking hoarder. There's no fucking doubt about that. Because I literally, I had to get into the mindset to do this. All right, look. Let's, uh, let's do this uh, interview thing. Let's make this happen. Let's uh, talk to Kurt Bronner now. What is that? The what? Hello, S- Scott. Hey, S- Mark. Scott Ackerman just bursting in. Hey, how's it going? Hey, WTF listeners. Hey, I just how, uh, how are you? To drop by. Oh, I'm great. Thank you so I much. Don't, it's very unorthodox that someone just burst into my uh, garage. You know, it is. You left the door open. We yeah. do that all the time on my show, Comedy Bang Bang. We have an open door policy. Yeah. Well, I, uh, this is not how this works. I, really? I just thought I could drop by anytime I wanted. No. To. Usually we arrange it. People call. You know, we set things up, and now you're eh, here. No thanks. I, all right. Well, hey, so I, I just what? wanted to tell all your WTF listeners uh-huh, about my new TV show, Comedy Bang Bang. That's <laughs> really? on. On Friday. <laughs> you got a new TV show? I got a new TV show. I yeah. saw it. Oh, good. I saw the first two episodes. Mark, what'd you think? <laughs> you know what? Daddy, I, do you like me? <laughs> I enjoyed the show. I thought it was... Uh, it was <laughs> but? Well, no, I'm not going to but. I, I like the Scott Arkerman character. Thank uh, you It's an much. interesting character. I'm uh, in it right now. Yeah. I do. But is that true? <laughs> is it a character? Because like, I, I know you pretty well, and I and I know you're sort of playing straight man to this universe that you've created there. Yeah, I'm sort of doing a character, but uh, yeah. I mean, uh, if, if people don't know what we're talking about, it's a talk show. Yeah. On, on it, IFC. Is it really a talk show? It's a talk show format. It's a... Uh, we were trying to come up with the name for it you know how like a fake documentary is a mockumentary right. we were thinking like mock show yeah but that, has, that doesn't tell anyone it, what it like actually an is like an m-a-l-k show yes mock, m-a-l or uh, just the m-l-k show the m-l yeah and yeah. it's a black theme it's a it's a racially charged <laughs> yes, righteous uh, undertaking by scott ackerman <laughs> a white guy but you do have reggie watts as <laughs> hey so you know was it a horrible we got our bases covered <laughs> you got the black guy <laughs> but no, Reggie is your uh, your band. He's my band leader and my sidekick. Very funny too. He's very funny. He's great. It. He's yeah. uh, you know, like because I I know Reggie for his music, but then when you guys are working together, he's got, he's quick. He's a funny guy. We're we have a great relationship together. And on, and on the first show, it's uh, it, that's the polar one, right? No, the first show is actually Zach Galifianakis, Will Forte. Tom Lennon, Andy Daly, Gillian Jacobs from Community, myself, Reggie, plus a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Man, Andy Daly was fucking hilarious. He's great. 
I, he's You're going to love him. I mean, I, uh, you know, I've talked to him. I've seen him do some stuff, but he killed me. Everyone he's, was funny. Tom Lennon is a wine guy. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not spoiling anything. Sommelier. The sommelier. Um, yeah, no, you're not spoiling anything. Um, so you're, t- you're kind of doing a mashup of talk show, like old style um, Kind of Fernwood tonight right, right. Dick Cavett kind of with fake interviews, but also with real interviews. And it's, some sketch, man. There's a, one yeah. part where you actually go to a, a post-apocalyptic earth. Yes, of course, and fight just, off the alien insurrection. Yeah, but for I, like three minutes. It's just yeah. like, where's Scott? He's fighting off aliens. Yeah, yeah. that's on uh, Friday at 10. And, Star uh, Packed. Star Packed. Every episode we tried to put in as many crazy, great people on as we could. Um, you know, you'll see Will Arnett and Topher Grace for like 90 seconds. Oh, that's you know? great. It's um, nice having friends, isn't it, Scott? It really is, and I'd love to have you on <laughs> season two. Now I'm feeling really... <laughs> Insecure about no, not no, asking no, no, you to no, be no. on. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a big, uh, I'm not a big name. You know what I mean? You have I'm your a, own IFZ show. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be there with you if everything works out. Well. I hope so. Back I'm to gonna, back. Not till next fall. Uh, but how many episodes did you do? We did ten episodes. Um, I'm really proud of them all. I really stand behind them. I, I mean, they're they're really, they let me do whatever I wanted to do. It's, they were real good about that. Yeah, they. I mean, I can't believe the stuff that we got away with. I, I was show. watching it. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> which is which is a good uh, feeling to have when you're watching television. You, yeah. you know, where you're like, what is what is that? That's How- not a talking window frame. <laughs> yeah, the stuff, I mean, m- the stuff we do on the show, any other network would have said, can we change that? Yeah, but it's taking some risks because we yeah. don't understand any of it. Yeah. Where they, they were all sort of like, oh, great. That looks fun. They loved it. They love it. I love it. I think uh, people are really going to love it. We have Seth Rogen on the show, John Hamm, uh, Paul Rudd, Elizabeth wow. Banks from The Hunger Games. Kids love The Hunger Games. Yeah, they do. My my uh, girlfriend loves The Hunger Games, and she's not a kid, but she's hmm. a kid. All right, it's arguable. <laughs> 28, 29 now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, she's not a kid. Yeah. If, if there's grass on the field. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is one of those, uh, that's an awkward Ackerman moment Ooh. that you'll see a lot of on, on uh, Comedy Bang Bang. <laughs> but you had Adam Scott too, right? Adam Scott, he's great. We have Weird Al Yankovic, Tenacious D. So I, I watched uh, the one with uh, Polar as a guest. I, yep. I, and is that, how much improv is going on there? Uh, I think it's probably like half the show is improv. Cause Seriously? Yeah. Anytime I'm talking to anyone on set, I'm actually, they're all unplanned conversations. Really? Yeah. Because it's a lot I- like what we do with the uh, Between Two Ferns stuff that I do. But uh, well, obviously they're in on the joke, but you're working with people that can do that. Yeah, I mean it's great when you have Amy Poehler across right. the, the table from you, and you know that if you lob something out there, she's going to knock it See, out. See, because that's wild. Because I you know, just by nature of how the the sketches were structured, so you structure blocks, and there's some stuff that's scripted, obviously, because it needs pre-production. Yeah. There's a structure around it, but any anything on the set is we're just kind of flying. Andy blind. Daly improvised that that dance guy. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, I, I I I've seen him do that character before, right? But, so I know sort of what he's going to do, but the whole thing is improv because I think it just you know it has a real air to it that oh, that's so a good. lot of fake talk shows like you know I don't know knowing me knowing you with Alan Partridge right. it seems scripted, but right. this, mine doesn't feel like that. No, I mean I I'm I'm completely amazed because I I knew. Yeah, obviously you have to have points, and you're you're asking the questions, but I didn't really realize that they had no idea what you were going to ask them. Nothing. Oh, that's unbelievable. And Zach, of course, no one no one plays disinterested better. Than... <laughs> <laughs> like I've never seen a guy I don't know that he's playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never like I've never seen a guy remove himself from a situation while still being in the situation <laughs> as good as Zach does. He's amazing at it. 
<laughs> but it's a funny thing, right? It's not, you know, he was he was not really disinterested, was he? No, I mean, he had a good time. But I, I think I was telling you the other day, I was watching him in a in a TV show the other day that, right. he, that he taped a few years ago, and he was actively turning his back to the camera, <laughs> which is such a funny thing to do. <laughs> well, that's, uh, I, I, I love knowing that. And I think that's something that the, uh, that, that ups the ante for people watching it. Well, it's definitely a, a mind blower, and it's definitely uh, you, you don't know what's going to happen, and it's hilarious, and uh, thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Mark. I'm just going to see myself out uh, the way yeah, I came sh- in. And shut the door, will you? Yeah, okay, no problem. Yes. All right, Scott. All Good right, times. Uh, watch. Yeah, hold on. Watch what? I, I was just going to say, watch Scott's show. It premieres tomorrow night at uh, 10 p.m. on IFC. Friday night, 10 p.m. Is it going to be every Friday? Every for- Friday. For what, 10 times? 10 times, yeah. And, and hopefully more if they like it? 10 times at 10. That's 100. That's all they got to remember. <laughs> okay. There you, no, it's only 10 episodes, not 100. 100 episodes. All right. Thanks, Scott. Bye. I don't pay attention to um, where people... I barely know anyone's name. Yeah, I have the same problem. You do? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, and it's I'm, embarrassing. I, I find it embarrassing, and I try to get better about it. And I just, it's, a, it's like a, a block. What do you think that is? I don't know. It's, I, I, I've always thought that it's a like a selfish thing. I think, I mean, maybe that's. I mean, it could I, be. It, it could be selfish. I've always thought it's like a downfall of mine. You know, like I've always felt bad about it. Yeah, I mean, I could know people for twenty years and still be like, oh fuck. And I, you, but also after fifteen years, it's weird to ask. No, you. It's, it's weird to ask after you know twice. <laughs> no, of course. And like some people are so good. Like I'm going to be working with people, and it's I gotta like get that right. I always ask other people. Yeah, you just yeah. have to have one person whose name you do know who yeah. knows everybody else. Oh yeah, name. you got to have like a the the uh, like a presidential assistant. Oh, yeah, that is more. <laughs> so uh, let me make sure I know your last name properly. Brown Oler? Brown Oler. Brown Oler. Yeah, it just looks complicated. It's... Kurt Brown Oler. Yeah. That, that, you must have been relentlessly ridiculed. You know what was weird is that for the last name, no. I mean, for everything else. Really? Brown Oler? Nothing? No, the best they came up with was Granola. Granola? Isn't that the word? I mean, like, in, we're, in we're... the name, there's an H that can easily be moved over one, and it's essentially Assholer. Yeah, sure. Right? Assholer. And Kurt, no. Kurt Assholer. Granola. That Kurt was the, the best thing. Granola? Yeah. What an uninventive bunch of... Uh, you, you must not have had shitty kids where you grew up. I mean, no, they were shitty. They just were... <laughs> they had tiny imaginations. <laughs> no. Tiny. Uh, assholer? That was, that's easy. That's easy. Brown hole? Yeah. It's dirty not, it's butt? Like, like, even they just call me dirty butt. That's a no-brainer. Let me get some more... Oh, there I am in my head. There you go. So what are you doing out in LA? What's going on? I never see you out here. But then no. again, I don't know you. Yeah, we don't know each other. I mean, I we worked together at an event. Yeah, uh, we did the one a, show. Yeah, and that was good. That yeah, was, it was a fun Ithaca. show. Ithaca. Yeah, and it was me, you, Kristen. No, Eugene. it was Eugene. Me, you, and Eugene. Yeah, that was it. And that was the first time I said, "Wow, this guy's pretty funny." I don't know what uh, if I would have noticed that if I just ran into you. Yeah, no, you're, no, no. You're I'm large, very dull. I'm very dull in person. Unassuming. Uh, <laughs> I'm a mo- I'm a, I'm a giant monster. I'm a little. I look like an SS officer. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't. Uh, well, you got the name of one. Yeah, I do. Do you come from uh, like uh, German speaking Germans? Yes, I do. And I just found out uh, that I always knew that my father is German. Yeah. But never knew about my mother because she didn't know her father. 
And then she just recently, maybe like a year ago, had gotten in touch with him, like by letter, had found him and gotten in touch with him by letter. And then he died and then he had never told anyone. And then his daughter found the letters and got in touch and found out that she had a sister she never knew about and got in touch with my mom. And through that, we found out that I have a cousin living in Los Angeles. And so this trip, I've come out and I met this guy who's my cousin who actually knew my grandfather. And I just found out that, yeah, like that's German too. He's German. So he came from Holy Germany shit. too. Right. Yeah. So, and it's really weird. Like we, we sat down and all of a sudden, like all of these things were like eerily, you know, similar. And we got along incredibly well. And it kind of was like an overwhelming feeling. This just happened? This just happened uh, three days ago. And I'm going to go see him tomorrow again. Like, uh, like, what were the similarities? I mean, just like, could you, was there resemblance? And like, there, you know? No, there's no resemblance. He looks like Ryan Gosling. <laughs> like, he looks exactly like Ryan Gosling. Right. Uh, but this is your but, first cousin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your mother's sister's kid. Yeah. But your mother didn't know she had a sister. No, not until not until like two months ago. How? Why was your mother not in touch with her father? My He just took off. Really? Yeah, so she never knew him. And he had a second family kind of thing. Or yeah, just... he, he I, okay, so my grandmother was a dancer, and so she was kind of like, she traveled a lot, and I guess met this guy, and they had sex, and then he took off, and I don't even think she knew where he went. She knew his last name, and that's how they found, that's how my mother, my mother is married- she married like five years ago. Yeah. And that her husband is really into genealogy, which for some reason old men get into genealogy. I don't know So why. this is not your dad because you're older than five. No. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm dead. Yes, I'm older than five. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is my mom's husband currently. Wait, where's your dad at? My dad? Yeah. And my dad is in Michigan. They've been divorced since I was two, but my dad has been remarried a whole bunch of times. So I have actually eight brothers and sisters on my dad's side. Wow. Yeah, yeah I have a lot of stuff. They, yeah, well, let's let's start unraveling it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start on the dad side? Well, where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. So I was born in Michigan where yeah. my dad lives still. And then at two, my mom divorced my dad. Um, and she moved. we moved back to New Jersey and moved in with, into Asbury Park, New Jersey, right on the Bruce Springsteen! Bruce! How old were you? Was the amusement park there still? No, it had burnt down, I believe. But the uh, casino building was there, right? The, the casino uh, building just recently was torn down, so it was there my whole life. Right, and we but could there break was... into it as a kids and just like wander around. But nobody, it. nobody hung out there. Just no. an empty boardwalk. Empty Dude, boardwalk, but now it's coming back. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's is pretty it, awesome now. Is your mom still there? No, so we lived in uh, my uncle. My granduncle had like one of these old decrepit houses near the beach. He was my granduncle who danced with my grandmother. They were like a cousin team, and they looked exactly like like what Fred kind of Astaire. dancing? Ballroom dancing, a professional ballroom dancing. Professional dancing. ballroom dance. So they would go on like like tours and like go to ships and uh, like they would go on cruise ships and then like you know dance for people and teach people how to dance and then perform. And then she would also like you know travel all around. And later in life, she actually had a dance studio in Asbury. Yeah. Did you did you know her? Yeah, I knew my grandmother on my mother's side yeah. very well. Like, I danced my whole, like, growing up because, and it was just, you know, it would be all of these girls and then me. Ballroom like, dancing. Yeah, no, no, we would do ballet and jazz, and then I did Irish step dancing for a really long time as well. You Wait a minute, so you know how to ballet dance? I mean, then, I mean, you know, we're talking about ages probably three to ten. And you did jazz too? You did? I did everything. I yeah. mean, I have all, I have crazy amounts of weird photos of me with just like a gaggle of girls dressed as 
as um as bees and then i'm like the king bee so i was always like it was weird it was actually weirdly sexist in all the photos i'm always the king version of whatever everyone else is dressed as because i'm the boy you're probably the only guy that could get to do it oh yeah there's no other i mean there's no (laughs) six-year-old boy do you still have ballroom chops no i mean you know when i dance now if i dance like dance to normal music i look I, 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 people either say, Hey, you're a really good dancer. <laughs> or people are like, you're trying to dance like a crate, like funnily. Uh, uh, right. You're, you're a really funny dancer. Right. Right. And to me, I'm just actually trying to dance. So I don't know. But it's probably in there. It's probably like muscle memory. Somewhere there. It's probably like, you know, if you're, if you just, <laughs> but what, it's hard you know, people hardly dance anymore. But I mean, if you're at a party, maybe a wedding, like you, yeah. you probably kick into some sort of old jazz steps. Oh well, th- that Pure stuff. Little. I still know the Irish step dancing. That's something I That's actually still. That's awkward at a party. Yeah, yeah you can't you, do that. No, not, the music's no, no, no. got to be just right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just looks awkward. So, did you do Irish step dancing in a group? Yeah, well, I thought I was Irish for a really long time because I was raised like uh, Irish Catholic, essentially. Why? And, and all of my everyone I knew was Irish Catholic. I went to a Catholic school. Everyone in that part of Jersey Shore. Brownholder. I didn't think of that. I was just like, well, everybody else is Irish. I must be Irish too. No one told you. My, we never discussed it, <laughs> you know? And when I, I, Irish stepdads, I did all like these, you know, like Irish traditions and stuff like that. And I think I Irish stepdance actually until I was like 12. Wow. Yeah, for, for like a long time. So you're growing time. up in this uh, rickety house off the beach in Asbury Park. Your yeah, mom... and then we moved, and then we moved from Asbury Park to, to Neptune. So you're with your single mom. Single mom. She was a nurse. Yeah. Raising me by herself. My mom, my dad remarries. Brother, sisters? No, it's just you and your mom. Just me and my mom. Wow. Um, uh, your dad remarries. My dad person. remarries. My my dad. He's on his fourth wife now. But so there's. I have three older sisters. I have uh, one brother who's right next to me in age. Uh, and these are all half. And yeah. then three younger sisters. Huh. And so now I have. And the, I was always. So my eldest nephew, is. I think 19 and then my youngest sister sisters twins are 10 or 11. How the fuck do you keep in touch with all <laughs> do you keep in touch with all of them? I just was at my um my my second eldest sister's house in half Laguna Niguel. They're all half. Right. Yeah. Uh yeah, in Laguna Niguel and I was with her family and my nieces and my nephews. Down here. Yeah, it's pretty great. And do you, do you feel like family? Yeah, can't like that. That's you know the second eldest. I feel very close. with. Oh my with. god, this is all so complicated. Yeah, and then my brother, I'm very close with Your as half well. Half brother, my half brother. Yeah, he's like closest to me in age. So, the, but they all have like now they're not they're in the same position you are because there's kids with the newer different wives, right? And are all these women still alive? Uh, one of them is deceased. Oh, yeah, the eldest. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's intense. And yeah. also, I, the thing I always used to do with my dad was that when uh, when my, like my my oldest nephew would come by and it was like family reunion, and when my my youngest sisters were till, still like kids, yeah, you know, they'd be like, "Oh, Emily and Aaron did something." And I'd be like, "No, no, 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 Aunt Emily and Aunt Aaron." And my dad'd be like, "Don't, don't do that. That's not funny." I'm like, "Dad, you don't even realize how funny this really is because <laughs> they, they were your aunts." They were, they were younger, so they were like 10, 10 years younger than him. So at the time, he's probably 15, and they're five years old, oh, and right. they were his aunts. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's fucking complicated. It is very complicated. So, I mean, I, and, and, but you maintained a relationship with your old man, and, you know, and, and everything was cool through all this? Yeah, I mean, it was never cool, you know what I mean? Like, it definitely felt like he checked. He was, he's, I don't think he was ever, 
And he actually said this to me relatively recently, like maybe five years ago, where he's like, I don't never, I don't think I was a good father. Yeah. And I was like, and I don't think he ever just planned on it. It was one of those things again in the, you know, people, he was born 1940. So it was just like that idea where it's like, you, you don't use condoms and if, and they get pregnant, you just marry them yeah. and you just continue on. Yeah. And so I think he just it sounds like he... kind of like a series of blunderings almost like where these women wanted to have children and he didn't, but he was just like, all right. And just kind of kept giving in. It was almost like a giving in over and over again, it seems. Well, but, but see, after like maybe once or twice doing that, you think like, you know, he'd be like, you know, they've got these things. <laughs> Maybe we don't have to have more <laughs> children, you know. Like, I think you know what, honestly. Are you that forgiving? Oh, it's just blundering after four wives and like, <laughs> like in, in new broods of children every few years. Like, yeah, my dad just makes mistakes again and again and again, and I call them half brothers. <laughs> I mean, it is it is like it's like why if you're not if you don't think that you're like really checked in as a father, then why do you continue to do it? I don't know. You don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, he's he's definitely like a, I mean, I, I like the guy. Like, people like him. You know, yeah. he's a very likable dude. But do you see him as a dad or just a guy? I see him as a guy. Yeah. I yeah. had a lot of anger towards him until maybe I was, I think, 21 or so, and um, and we got drunk together. And then I was like, oh, like, he's a great drinking buddy. Like, yeah, he's yeah, right. a, You know? <laughs> I just can't expect him to be a father in any Exactly. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to retire those needs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Exactly. And I just kind of retired <laughs> those needs. And now he's like a buddy, you know? And your mom just remarried five years ago? Yeah, just remarried. It was a high school sweetheart. Wow. Who just re- found her on, I think it was classmates.com. And then they got like a whirlwind romance and they got back together again. It, and you get along with that guy? Yeah, he's fine. I mean, I always say like about him, like he he could literally be a monkey. Because a monkey as in the like band he could or just be no like an ape who throws his shit around. But as long as my mom's happy, you know, what I mean, like he helps her up the stairs. You know, like I can't help her up the stairs. I don't live there anymore. Right. You know, and so there's a guy who helps her up the stairs. It's like he could do whatever he wants. He could be the most racist man in the world, and I'd still be so happy he was there. Yeah, you know, that's sweet. Yeah, but he's he's fine. He's fine. He's a nice I, I guy. You'd probably be a little uncomfortable if you went to see your mom and <laughs> he answered the door and goes, "Yes, all's here." <laughs> yeah, that would be a little difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have to say, "Hey, how are you? Are you still helping my mom up the stairs?" <laughs> but my mom, and that's the thing. It's like my mom was so dedicated to me, and I always wondered about this. Yeah. This is another crazy thing. We're gonna get all the f- family shit out right now. All right? right, yeah. Is that I was always my mom was so such a good mom in so many ways, and so dedicated to me. And I definitely have like only child syndrome, and because of it. But I always wondered why or how she knew so much, and she seemed to do everything right. And then I found out like a year and a half ago that she had a kid before me that no one ever talked about because she got pregnant when she was 18 and then just gave the kid up for adoption. Uh, and and back then, you just went to a, a nunnery, like a convent essentially yeah. for, for pregnant teens. Put it on a doorstep, maybe. And then, and then you would go through it and then she just disappeared for six months and came back and no one ever spoke of it. Wow. And so... This is some deep Catholic shit. It's some deep Catholic shit. And the way I found out was that my dad was just drunk one night and in front of my brother, because he was having... My brother's having a kid and he's like, well, we're thinking about having a kid at home, but people say, like, can't have kids at home unless you had one before. He's like, but Barbara did that. And uh, my dad was like, oh, she had a kid before. And then, <laughs> and then my brother was like, hey, uh, 
I think I think your mom had a kid before you. And I was like, no, I don't think so. It's like dad said when he was drunk. I was like, really? And then it was like, how but, do I bring that up with but my mom? The, but at this point, like, you know, that's not surprising in this family. Oh, no, it? not exactly. But, There's so many levels of secrecy and unknown stuff. And it is all like comes back to the Catholic thing of just like, yeah. just move on. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. move on. Th- this is... will sort itself out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So wait, now, wait, now, so you, you bring it up with your mom? Yeah, I did. I, I was trying to figure out how to do it, you know, because it is like it's a situation where you don't have a rule book for it. you have something you want to tell me for your whole life? Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell me something? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm going to think about it. Do you want to tell me something? Here, let me give you a hint. <laughs> 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 or, yeah, I mean, like now he's 48 years old, I think. That's the, that, would, how, that, was, that is how old he would be. Well, when, when do we track down that one? That's the question. So, anyway, so how I brought it up was... We were just having lunch one day because I don't want to do it over the phone. So we're having lunch, and I was like, um, "I was like, hey, did you do you have a kid before me?" <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I did." And I was like, "Why? What didn't? Don't you think you should have told me?" And she's like, "No, it's just like we. I've never told anyone. But it's it, like it's just something we never. No one ever but spoke it, about. Did it. she have that tone? No, we like it was casual. Yeah, it was totally cash. <laughs> it was super cash." You know, and she was just like, you have to understand, it was a totally different time like that. You went away, and then you came back, and you've been gone for six months, and everyone you know pretends like you didn't leave. Like, no one speaks of That's it. how the community handled it. The whole, everybody, yeah, the family, the community, everyone. And did did you ask her about the guy? Well, I asked him about it, and I think she was, you know, I, I had thought about, because I wanted to get in touch with him. Especially now, I kind of even want to more after meeting this cousin and kind of like getting along with him so well and yeah. being kind of like, this is, I've always wanted to have somebody, you know, in Los Angeles who I could go surfing with, you know, and, and he's a surfer and I was just kind of really excited. Yeah, I just came from it. I just came from Newport uh, Beach this morning. Where'd you start surfing? In New Jersey? In New Jersey. Yeah, because I grew up on the ocean in New Jersey. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I asked my mom, I was like, hey, you know, would it be okay and she's like, well, let's talk about it. And then basically, you know, I think she has, she didn't come out and say this, but I think she's scared on some level that she doesn't know what happened to the kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and basically what, what, ha- what it comes down to is that the Catholic Church, New Jersey, state of New Jersey, tried to open up these cases so that people could find the people that were adopted. Right. Um, but the Catholic Church sued them uh, to keep the, all, every, all the records sealed. Because the, the Catholic ca- Church sued itself, or the no, state of sued New Jersey? the state of New Jersey oh, okay. to keep all these records sealed. I wonder because, why. Because they essentially said like that would be a violation. Like all of these people went into this with the system with the confidentiality in place, and if you take it away, it's a betrayal of all of their trust. Um, and also, my mom said too. She was like, "Well, you know what? There's a there's a chance that he doesn't even know he's adopted, because back then you didn't tell your kid you were adopted. That's a relatively more modern." So wow! So this all Practice. all this stuff is predicated on maintaining the denial, and yes. uh, and secrets the, that right. the church encourages, and the church encourages it. Yeah. I mean it's it's so it's you know I grew up when I grew up I grew up with the Catholic Church. I was going to be I wanted to be a priest as a kid. You know, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I was an altar boy my whole life. And, and what shattered that? The dancing? Uh, no, just my it was high school. My realization that I uh, that like there was just deep flaws in the in the system of the church. Yeah. But, but, like, it's so weird to look at the Catholic Church as a system yeah. and then to have my experience growing up within it were radically different. Like, every—I I must have just been—even though I went to Catholic school my whole life, yeah. 
I was always in a, must have been a liberal Catholic situation in which it was only good. You know, there was no, there was never. No, I think that's the bill of goods they want. You want, they want you to believe that. I mean, yeah, no, but I mean, like, even the liberal, like, they, there were people who disagreed with the Pope, you know, yeah, and like right. said, you know, well, that's that's what the Catholic Church says, but let's let's examine that. We were always kind of encouraged to be analytic about, right, the like what was in the Bible and you know all this sort of stuff. But did you believe in heaven and hell? Oh hell, oh yeah, <laughs> oh definitely, oh yeah. I mean, like, it's that's you you spend. I don't know. I think when you grow up Catholic, you spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about it about hell. About just the fact that all of your decisions have consequences. Right. You know? Right. And I, I do think that, like, you know, this black, like, the concept of heaven and hell is just such a silly idea. I, in my, now I find it very silly. But the one thing I do like about being raised Catholic is the sense that at all times you're like, whatever, whatever rules we're playing by, you have to realize that those aren't the only rules. You don't. You have to realize that there's something else going on, right. whatever it is that we don't that, understand. That you have to be held to, like you have to hold yourself to uh, standards that you don't. You won't necessarily see in other people, right? Uh, and that's based on the concept of like the the mystery of the like the universe. And I love that idea. And also the idea of of sin. The idea of sin, I have a problem with. Yeah, especially original sin. It seems so mean to make babies. Like the like, babies are so nice and perfect. Filthy. It's like right out of the filthy, gate. Filthy, right? Yeah. Disgusting animals, right out of the gate. First breath, they're shit. Yeah, yeah. 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 They got to start apologizing let's immediately. These, let's take these babies down a notch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their arrogance, they're not humble enough. Think about how fucked up that is yeah. to have to give a baby a problem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, fuck you. Whoever came with, fuck you. But the idea, like, yeah, I, I've had some recent re-understanding of, of the idea of sin was not, I, I think it's misunderstood that it's that there's this notion that we in any way can be perfect. The idea of sin was just to make people realize that you're not perfect. Yeah. And it's going to happen. Right. Uh, but I guess the Catholic Church's idea is that, you know, you're going to have to pay for that. Well, the original the original word, as I understood it, uh, actually means sin means to miss the mark. Right. Right? And I like that idea. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, we're all trying to be good fucking people. Yeah. And sometimes we miss the mark and right. we fuck up. And the idea of inherent in the co- concept of Catholicism, which would be forgiveness, yeah, that's cool. You yeah. know, like, we're all going to fuck up. You have to be ready to forgive people. Right. And I think that's a good thing. There's a lot of things that I take away from it, a lot of things that make me just furious about it. Well, when you were a kid, what was hell to you in your mind? I thought about that a lot. Um... And I would think about it, I think I gave up trying to put words to it kind of early. It was just going to be a, eternal depression, really, Yeah, just in uh, my mind. It would just be just so horrible, and you just feel bad every day. That's yeah. how, because I, at first <laughs> ah, I was like- still hot. Yeah. Or even not, even if it's just you sitting in a chair, but you're just so depressed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that would be hell. I've been to hell then. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have. <laughs> But was it to the point where you like you jerk off and you'd be like, "Oh man, you know what? I'm doomed." I, th- you know, I never, I never pegged um, sexuality to sin for some reason. I escaped that bullet, so I had oh, really? no problem with jerking off or fucking oh, really? or anything like yeah. that. Oh, no, that's no, no, good. no, no. For some reason, I don't know why, but yeah, I missed that. You, you missed that class. Yeah, I missed that class. <laughs> 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 no, I remember we actually had a sex education. I was an all boys high school. We had a sex education education class where we had to read a book called Becoming a Man. Yeah. And it was written by a priest yeah. who's never had sex. Right, of course. <laughs> so 
All right, so you go through this childhood and you have all these half-brothers. You seem pretty well-adjusted. I mean, was there, you know, I, when you were- I think that's got to be all my mom. I mean, like, we were, there was always, we always talked about stuff and we were clear about things like that. I just have really close connection with her. And you just, you just were angry at your dad for you know, half your life and then that went away. And then that went away, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, and I was also, like, forced to visit him and I never wanted to, so I, was, I always had to, like, I started flying on planes by myself at age six. yeah. Just to go visit him, and oh, so and that was nice. You got the special treatment from the from the flight attendants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the little thing with the stickers. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and the, and the pin <laughs> where yeah. it says uh, yeah. uh, 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 unoccupied, no, not unaccompanied minor. Yeah, unaccompanied minor. Yeah, and they yeah. give you toys, right? Yeah, yeah, and then they walk you off. And they walk you off, but it always felt creepy. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. <laughs> it was like plane? these people are doing. <laughs> This job, and some of them were good at it, and some of them weren't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then as you get older, you realize, like, well, who the fuck, you know, flight attendant's not an easy guy. It's not an easy gig. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, oh, we got to deal with a kid. Yeah, in addition, uh, yeah. it's like as if, like, if you, if a wait, a waitress. You know, all of a sudden, how has to deal with so much? I'm just gonna leave my child at the restaurant for six hours. I'll be back in a bit. Just watch him. <laughs> Part of your job. <laughs> So, like, where did you uh, end up getting interested in uh, the, in doing the, the, the Lord's work as a comedian or as uh, doing comedy work? Um, well, I didn't, you know, in college. What did you go um, to school for? You did all right in school? You didn't fuck up in Catholic school? No, I, I did. Because I went to an all-boys um, high school. Wait a minute. What's that about? Was there any, like, any of this sort of hackneyed nastiness going on? No, uh, it was actually and, uh, that kind of business. No, there were creepy because it was run by brothers, and the brothers were the most fucked up, problematic part of the entire school. Like I was physically beaten up by a brother, bro, one specific what, brother now repeatedly. Me about what, what's a brother as opposed to a priest? They are they're essentially monks. They're okay. Catholic monks. Okay, they were of the Jesuit faith. Um, no, Lasallian, Lasallian, which was an offshoot of Jesuits. Um, and some of them were fine. For the most part, here's the deal. The whole problem with the, all of the Catholic Church and, ev- and all the orders is that nobody's going into it anymore. So everyone who's still in it is incredibly old and comes from a place where, you know, corporal punishment was okay. Right. Hitting kids was okay. Right. Uh, and also just kind of a, I th- almost in, in, in the case of where I went to school, like a weak approach to academics because there weren't they weren't like becoming teachers because they were really smart and really wanted to teach they just had to do it because that's what the brothers did right um and some of them were weird and and definitely creepy there was a guy who would just give you massages while you took tests and only talked about like his his niece's tiny breasts during class i mean i took three years of latin from that guy and i don't know a fucking word of latin because he was just he was a miserable human and but he, but you know about his niece's tiny breath. I can remember the exact words. He would say that Latin is about everything. <laughs> it's not just about the language. And he would say, um, and he would be he would use a word, and he's like, like my cu- like my little niece, she has cupcake breasts. And then I think he would use like the word for small yeah. in Latin to like then talk about his small his his niece's tiny cupcake-like breasts. And this came up every year. This came up, like, the the reason, the, the fact that I remember cu- cupcake breasts is that he talked about it all the time. I mean, it's like, think about it. <laughs> think about if you never fucked somebody, if you never had sex, yeah. you would, it would just become like this, 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 this grail that just becomes like huge in your mind. A grail or a whale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Because, exactly. Like just, ter- like just this, like, it, because it's such a primal urge. And it's and always that's the there. one thing you can't do. Yeah, exactly. It's the one thing, this huge thing that's a part of everybody's like life. Like they let them drink. You can't do it. 
Oh yeah, and they were there. There's a lot of drinking. Yeah, a lot of drinking in in Jersey Irish Catholics. <laughs> yeah, wow. So all right. So what was so he he was the massager and he talked about his niece's cupcake breasts. Yeah, and then there was some another violent one. Yeah, it was a violent one who who played um, football in college. Um, and I remember it was you know it was it was it was, a, it was an imagined slight that I had done, and uh, and you know it was one of these. You mean it didn't happen? Uh, yeah, it was it was imagined. Well, basically, the slight was we were in the middle of a test. He came on, made an announcement. Yeah, and door and because you know it's a standardized testing, you're not allowed to interrupt. Yeah, and I was like f- trying to finish up, and it's the last three minutes of the testing, and I went, oh, shut up, and I said it under my breath. And to a to a speaker, right? And then that brother heard me say that, told that brother, and as I was leaving, he grabbed me and threw me up against a wall and just started like slamming me into it. And he's like, "You have something to say to me?" And I was like, "Well, actually," I, and I went into <laughs> like explaining why yeah, yeah. why he shouldn't have been making that announcement. And he just slammed me into the wall and he said, "I'm gonna watch you, and if you do that again, I'm gonna fuck you up." He said, "I'm gonna fuck you up." The brother said that. Yeah, and I was like, "This is," and now and that point, I was like. Thanks for sealing it. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. never coming back here. <laughs> like, Catholic Church is out the window here. You are an asshole. Fuck this whole place. Yeah, you did fuck me up, and I thank you for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You Let fucked me... me right out of fucking... <laughs> Being a Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. So, yeah, I got out of that. And we're, and you, But you did all right in school, because you were terrified. Yeah, well, no, also, because it was all boys, I thought it was great, because there was no cliques. There was no social groups in my high school because there was no girls to impress. Right. Oh, so really? nobody gave a shit, you know? We're just all just a group of farting 15-year-olds, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, they, yeah. nobody gave a shit. So it was actually, you know, there was the people who played sports, but within the school, there was never any... All you did was do work. So there's so, no, no weird jock hierarchy because there was no. none of that uh, kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, when a peacock, there was no strutting. Yeah, there's no strutting. Yeah, yeah. For the most part. So where'd you find uh, pussy? I mean, um, doing theater, <laughs> actually, because we had a because th- we had to ship. So I was in the theater at the all boys school, and they would ship w- girls in from other high schools for the theater program. Yeah, so I would just stay at school, and it was all, we were all you know, of course, obviously called theater fags and everything. Right. But I was like, you guys, you're like you're wrestlers, <laughs> and you go and you wrestle with other dudes. I go over there, and the cutest girls are shipped in for me to hang out and then have sleepovers with. Yeah. <laughs> you win. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So is that who you had the first time you had sex? Was it with one of the girls from the theater? No, I had a I, first time I had sex with a girl uh, was um, just someone I met from another high school. Oh, really? Yeah, it was just kind of a random meetup. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had my wisdom teeth out, and I was at, I was at Jersey Mike Subs, the first one, which I later got my first job at. And I ran into her, and then we just started dating. We dated all of high school, so like oh, really? 15 to 18. Oh, so you were locked in. I was locked in. I've always kind of done that. And you didn't marry her, and you, and you didn't have a baby. No, 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 no. So I, you I you avoided there. the family curse. Oh, yeah. No, well, <laughs> after that, right after that relationship, yeah. I got into a 13-year relationship from age 18 to 31. Wow. How old and are you now? I'm 36. And that, and you didn't have babies there either? Mm-mm. So you, you, no, no, you've no. broken the spell. Yeah. You're not going to have any weird random kids going like, oh, I think my dad is a comedian. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, that's the, I think that was definitely a pushback from my dad having done that. Um, sure. Yeah. And uh, well, you, you were careful and you thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where'd you go to uh, college? Uh, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. That's fancy. Yeah, it's nice. They got a good medical school. Yeah, exactly. What'd you study? 
Uh, philosophy. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. They have a good philosophy department as well. Now, when you study philosophy, because like that's like some sort of path in my mind that I should have taken. I have a lot of the books over there. Yeah. But I could not quite grasp. Uh, you know, there, it's like almost like math. There's a language to it, right? Yeah, there is a lot, and, and that's why actually I thought I was going to be a professor. That was like my plan, and so I was going to take two years off after school and then go back to school and right. uh, become a professor. Do a dissertation on Kant. It was Hegel. You that were, was who you I were was. a Hegel guy? Yeah, just because no one could understand it, and I seemed to have a basic understanding of it. And it's literally all I was doing was parroting back what he said. Can you sum it up for me? And people were super excited. Hegel, go. Hegel, basically he has this idea that it's called Geist, and, and uh, there's an evolution of humanity, and that we're slowly heading towards this kind of perfection of humanity and that we're in, there's all these different ages. And so it kind of breaks down history into all right. these different ages and how we're heading towards kind of a perfection of humanity, which I don't think is true. Yeah. But that, that was be, his idea. That, th- those are the kind of things that can be easily misunderstood by fascists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Hegel. And then also well, you have the Heidegger problem and then also Nietzsche as well. Right. And Nietzsche with his overman, with yeah. his overman. So between Hegel, approach. Heidegger and Nietzsche. We and like, I loved all of them. Yeah. I, lo- I, lo- I mean like very Germanic kind of approaches to, uh, things where is it's like where there's the sort of inherent elitism right which i got rid of but i was obsessed with in, just in college by nature of philosophy there was an inherent elitism. no 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 in like in nietzsche and in hegel right there's the stupid people and then there's us right right, right. exactly the thinkers and the thing is like philosophers are shit to, on uh, all the time that goes back to socrates though doesn't it Philosopher of course Kings? Yeah. yeah of course i mean of course it makes sense yeah because here's a guy who who does something that you can't monetize <laughs> and so he has no money but he's super fucking smart yeah. of course course he's gonna be like no no the reason i don't have money is because i'm better than anybody right. than everybody <laughs> that's the key to philosophy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if you'd like to listen to me you may sit down yeah i don't yeah. need money I don't... <laughs> but i will enchant you with my wisdom yeah exactly and my foresight <laughs> but i think all that came out of being coming from like just thinking about jesus all the time you for, know for uh for hegel I mean, my my obsession with philosophy, you know, because oh, really? yeah, because you know, you these like you know, he was a thinker, you know, and and all of his ideas were pretty cool. Yeah, they got twisted and fucked up and turned around, but you know, it always kind of been looking for a substitute for but that they in my life. But they weren't coded. I mean, I think that it's right. I, I, it seems to me that to really sort of take in the breadth of uh, certainly a philosopher that's lived a long life, it's all very coded with, you know, their 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 principles. Yeah, their, their idiosyncrasies. You know, like, because when you talk about the Geist, you know, and my first thought is like, well, that, you know, evolution sort of lends itself to thinking about that, but that probably wasn't even part of the thought process. Yeah, no, I mean, and also I, I don't even remember it enough to even think, wonder if evolution had been in there. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, because like that always fascinated me too, that like, there, there are these these um, these uh, what disciplines that that were approaching the same material, which is life. You know, you've got psychiatry, you've got psychology, and you've got philosophy, and then you've got uh, theology. And at, out of the three, you know, those three things are, are non scientific for the most part yeah. in, in their in their in their rootings, uh, but yet are trying to approach the same problems. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. What is this? Me. Right, right. Yeah. And and those are always the ones that are a little vague. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like you know, <laughs> it's open to. Uh, we don't you know. know. Yeah, yeah. But what did you t- what did you take from it? I mean, after studying philosophy, because I was always jealous of that. I wish I had, because I you know I I think I'm you know not as much of a pseudo intellectual as I was, but I always thought that philosophy. Uh, you know that I see myself as a philosophical person, but yeah. to really study philosophy, it's like it's a pain in the ass. Oh, it's a super pain in the ass. And also, I don't think I was ever sat. And the reason I didn't go back is I was never satisfied with it because it was a purely intellectual pursuit, and there was no 
there was no spirit to it and on the spirituality side yeah but then also on the like the humor side there are some philosophers who are very funny but there was never you know there wasn't a it wasn't an over that was never found a philosopher who was like that's how i can live my life because right. that's what i was looking for i wanted an answer on how to live my life yeah did you read and, i'm okay you're okay or what or uh, <laughs> you know like uh, the dwyer books was that his name wayne dwyer no I'm no okay, no you're okay or maybe uh <laughs> maybe some uh, that's a 70s was, kind of like yeah, solipsism yeah, yeah, where yeah. it's like everything's all right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. some uh, leo buscalia books just <laughs> just hug it out You'll yeah yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> That stuff didn't that, work for you? No, no, no. I never even read that stuff. <laughs> you, need, you you wanted the deep answers. I wanted deep answers. I wanted to be able to be like, I wanted to have an awakening. Well, you know? did, you, did you get, like, I I took a class, an existentialism class, where I think the professor for a year only taught the first 50 pages of being in nothingness. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. It was like, uh, I still have it, and occasionally I'll be like, maybe I'm old enough to handle this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. further <laughs> away from it than I ever could be. Yeah, because you can just drill down and drill down and drill down into these, into, into some of these books, and it's like, uh, you get lost in a well, yeah, but then you get into that being for itself, being of itself, being yeah, you know, like yeah. what is that shit? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like at a certain point, it becomes it, you start playing a syntax game yeah. that I found. Um, and each philosopher has his own, you know, his own vocabulary, right? And being of itself for one philosopher is different from for another, and you right. have to kind of like learn their the nuances, their, of the that nuances shit. of it. And on an intellectual, you know, on a, just an intellectual front, it was exciting and fun, right? But it wasn't enough. So what what drove you towards? Did you find some truth in uh, in performing? I mean, well, what, what was the moment there? Well, I think what it was was I, you know, I had left college and I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, I had graduated. Did you do well? Um, yeah, I did pretty well. Not yeah. you're not exceptional or anything right. like that, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I decided to. I took like this. Uh, I don't know what you call it. I went and I went in in the woods and I just lived by myself for a month. What do you and, mean? And like built my own structures and lived there. So this is the thing about the one high school thing about the also the the liberalness is that I had <clears throat> a high school teacher who a brother no he was a he was a lay Regular teacher oh, yeah okay. that's what they called them lay teachers lay teachers yeah, yeah. and uh, he was he taught this one class that I don't know what the fuck this guy I'm still friends with him today I don't know what the fuck he was doing in a Catholic school like yeah. he shouldn't have been there. Uh, and it was almost like constant abuse on his on it on his worldview to be there. But he taught this one class, uh, and in it we learned about kind of like you know it was like kind of blowing out the the whole idea of like Western thought. So we learned about Aboriginal thought, we learned about Eastern thought. We read a lot of stuff, you know, social anthropology kind of stuff. Like no, that. more like um, like. Uh, the the, the the myths of industrialization, right? Okay, yeah. About how about how people lived before right. this most recent part of our history, right? Like post-industrialization. So, like about post- you know tribal communities and their mm-hmm. mythologies, and yeah, their, and how their, they lived, their uh, social rituals, and, and also their and also their uh, you know there's a great book called Ishmael, yeah, uh, which kind of breaks it down uh, into leavers and takers, right? And like talking about like the hunter gatherers and how that was actually a, a, a fundamentally different mind 
than a taker mind, which we have now. Right. Um, which was, uh, you know, as a circle as opposed to a constant going upwards and more. Right. Well, the hunter-gatherers actually, you know, would uh, support each other's uh, different tribes through barter and, yeah. and through support systems. Right? And like you would one, never fully wipe something out because you knew that you need... You they had resources another, that you, right, that that you, you your need. tribe didn't have. Exactly. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so anyway, at the end of the that course, you had an option to go up to this land that he had uh, and go camping for three days and learn actual uh, survival skills in the woods. Yeah. Uh, and all like primitive survival skills. So we did that and then we ended the whole thing with this sweat lodge that we built on our own. Like what kind of uh, skills? Uh, learned how to um, throw a rabbit stick, which is a very you know basic tool to you know kill something if you needed to eat. Yeah. Uh, learned to make fire without um, matches or lighter. Did you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, with a bow drill. Uh-huh. And so using a bow drill to did make... You, did you... Were you able to kill anything with the rabbit? Oh, no, no, no. We never tried to kill anything. That was just kind of like... It was just Practice. a skill. It's also yeah. fun to throw... We would throw it at like another piece of wood. Right, sure. Um, how to build a fire appropriately, right. how to build a sweat lodge, how to heat the rocks properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just... It was just, you know, just kind of how to slow down and get out of kind of like the the industrial neuroses head. of of industrialization. Interesting. So so was that 3 days was that the cathartic thing? Was oh, that- I mean that 3 days I was like, "Oh, this is something here, like this is it." And so when I graduated, I just went back to that place cuz they, you know, he said you could go, I could go there anytime. And uh and I went and I lived there for a month and built a wigwam that I lived in and all that sort of, you know, just kind of like worked on my skills of really what I was working on was being alone. L- later I realized this. Because I had always been around other people and I craved that attention from other people. And so I was really challenging myself to be alone without being lonely. Well, do you think that part of it had to do with like, uh, I mean, uh, it seems like your relationship with your mom was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it was then, really intense. And the anger of the, the absence of your dad and those expectations were probably cursing you. Yeah. So you were just sort of like, how do I detach from all of that and, and be okay with me? Yeah, exactly. Huh. And... um. And it was really, really, and it, it rained also. I was there for 30 days. It rained for 26 days out of 30 days. What the hell did you eat? What did you do? Oh, I, ha- I brought all my own food up. So I prim- primarily ate like a tuna fish out of a can, like every day. <laughs> but you, so you didn't cook over a fire? No, I did. Okay. Um, but I, I would try and, you know, I would actually, no, I wouldn't cook over the fire too often. I would just have the fire going just yeah. for company. And you just, you sat up there in your teepee and ate tuna fish? Yeah. And ate <laughs> tuna fish and tried no to be radio, cool. No radio, no box? No, no, no. no, no. No, no, books, no, books. no watch. Yeah, books, books and um, and a journal, you know, writing. I would write a lot. And how was that journal in retrospect? I read it. Yeah, I read it all the time. It's fascinating. Really? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the... Well, you, just, you didn't end up like the uh, Into the Wild guy. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, also- Were you eating any leaves? No, I was. Uh, what did I did? I probably ate some like wild strawberries and yeah. stuff like that that I could gather. Yeah. Um, But what was interesting was I had a moment there where I'd finally been like, I kind of freaked out and I was like, I'm going to call my mom and have her come pick me up. You had the cell phone with you? No, no, no. It was before cell phone. So you had to go to the pay phone at the gas station down there? Yeah, yeah, it was about a five mile walk. Right, a walk. Um, and, uh, and I was like, and I was like, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, can't deal with, I can't deal with being alone anymore. Like it was too much. Yeah. And I'd gone and I sat, and there was like a little pond right there. And I'd made the decision. I was like, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to walk it down. I'm going to call my mom. She's going to come pick me up. I was 22. And, uh, and I, I was like, oh, God, it feels so good to have made that decision. Yeah. Had to, give in, to have given in. It right. felt really good. Yeah. 
And even though I knew that for me, that meant failure. Yeah. But giving in. How many days in were you? I was towards the end. Uh huh. And and I sat there and I literally was just throwing rocks. And it sounds almost cheesy at this point, but I was throwing rocks in the water and just watching the ripples go out. And I totally lost track of time. I I just was watching these ripples. And I don't know how long I was there, but when I got up again, it was dark. So I know I'd been there for, for a few hours. Uh-huh. And I just all of a sudden came out of it and realized that I was totally fine with staying. And I stayed out for the rest of the time. And I even woke up in the morning. It was, and it was this total release. And it was there's this uh, this concept of like you fight and fight a fight against something, and then you give into it, and all of a sudden you realize it wasn't that fucking important to begin with. Just a switch in your brain. It was just a switch in my brain, and all. And so that, no, no drugs. No drugs. No, not not when I was up there. Um, that got me really interested in in meditation for a while, which I haven't. I've since lost, but I would like to get back into. But where does the the comedy come? The from? desire to be like, I mean that. I mean that sounds like a bold thing to do, and it seems like a, a life altering month, and it, it obviously frees you some, from some things. But you know, here you are, you know, looking for answers. You, you studied philosophy. Yeah, you lived in a wigwam that you made. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I was really looking. I was really looking because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. That was the point of me going up there well, was to did, figure it out. And your mom just let you? I mean, she just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. I mean, she couldn't. After I turned like 13 or so, she really was pretty hands-off. She knew I was just going to do what I was going to do. And But she trusted you. That she, yeah, she trusted me. She'd wired you properly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and so then I and then I moved to New York City after that. What, what was that? What, what was the impetus? To move well, I knew I was going to either move to New York or, or San Francisco, and so I. What was appealing about San Francisco? I'd been there once, and it seemed it was awesome. <laughs> that, that was pretty much it. You know, I was twenty two years That's old. That's all it takes. It, like, yeah, 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 I was age, like, like, yeah, I was like, it seems awesome. Yeah, a lot of people doing what they want to do. Yeah, I like to do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and I went and looked, and I looked. I remember, I drove cross country from New York to San Francisco. And kind of the deciding factor was that at that time, San Francisco was way more expensive than living in Brooklyn. And my friend John Daly uh, was already in Brooklyn. He had already kind of like, had, you know, he was already living there so I could stay with him. So he's already doing the comedy thing. Yeah. Actually, right after I got there, I think he took his first class. This was 1998. Who else did I just talk to that uh, was a friend of John Daly's that went to New York for him? Brett for... Gelman? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So John and Brett were there. Yeah. And I got there, and I remember seeing, I went and watched their first UCB show um, in 1998, or maybe early 99, and just being like, oh, okay. Because I hated improv in college, because I'd only seen short form, and I really didn't like that. And then seeing this long form stuff, which seemed so much cooler and hipper and like kind of really fucking crazy. To me, it just like blew my mind. Take more risks. Yeah. And so I took... I took one of, I think I was in one of the first classes when UCB opened their space on 21st Street. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember doing my very first scene and walking off stage and being like, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like, this is the thing I've been looking for. <laughs> like, I, what, what was it about it? Um, it just, like, it felt, it was um, what my friend calls a peak performance. Yeah. Like, it was a, it was a task that was incredibly challenging, but that I was just, I just had enough to meet the challenge. And so I felt like constantly challenged, but also succeeding as well. What was it? Uh, what was the scene? Yeah. Uh, it was a, I was a baker and someone was, <laughs> I can't believe I remember this. I never haven't thought about that. I was a baker and someone kept uh, uh, ordering bread from me 
And I think I kept bringing out larger pieces of bread, like yeah. something super stupid. Yeah. Like any time an improvised yeah. scene is described, it's awful. Um, but I was just like, boom, and that was it. I clicked. And then I really tried for a really long time to make a living improvising. Because for me, that was the perfect marriage of the philosophy and, and this kind of like more Buddhist stuff that I've been studying and thinking about. And and comedy because is it was that like that moment that you're always kind of looking for that moment where you settle being down present. of being present all of your shit goes away and you're just doing one thing that you're good at yeah and that's what I really loved about and it and you're not and you transcend uh, self consciousness yeah in a way yeah you're not even you so I oftentimes wouldn't remember what I did on stage yeah. if it was good yeah and uh, and also all of your doubts and fears and all that shit just like melt away and so it's like that because you're in fucking it. huge high yeah, yeah you're just like in that flow yeah and yeah. I really tried for a really long time to make a living out of it and then finally realized I was like I'm not gonna make it was after I had taken, we had taken, I was in a group called Neutrino and we'd invented this uh, form called the Neutrino Video Projects, which right. was a fully improvised movie that was shot, scored, and edited while the audience watched it. We literally had camera crews outside that would run live and, and, uh, and it was That's like a this, lot of, a lot of, uh, pipe delay. It was a lot. It was, a, oh, we, we just, we literally physically ran the tapes in. It was very low, but low tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was the actual, you know, like shooting around the theater. So you, okay, so you do the, so you shoot for what an, uh, a half hour, an hour, and then you'd run it. No, 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 no. We would start. We would shoot for this was a, a form I come up, came up with by this guy Tommy Slocum who was in the group, which was you'd have three camera crews. Yeah, uh, we would get an, a suggestion from the audience. All the camera crews would leave, and one person would stand stage just talking to the audience for two minutes. In that two minutes all three camera crews would record a two minute long scene and then the tapes would be physically run inside, but all three camera crews. So then that provides six minutes of footage that the right. audience then starts watching. Yeah. So then the camera crews have six minutes to deliver three more minutes. And then that gives you nine minutes. So you're always just running against the clock. So this was sort of like, it was taking uh, you know, improv to this other level of, of almost it was it seems like a specifically New York thing to do. Yeah. So, like performance art and you know and you know, mixing media, but yeah. all in, in real time. All in real time. And this was two thousand and four Three two thousand. Right. So the conception of it where you guys like, you know, like Lower East Siding it and like, oh man, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were literally in the Lower East Side when we came up with the idea. Because right, yeah. I remember we had been doing all these cage matches and our thing was to like, you know, do something new each time. Right, right. And I was like, let's do, we should do a video improv show, you know, where it's all on video but improv and no one knew how that would work. And then Ptolemy came back with this fucking, map. this map and he's yeah. like, this is how it could work. And I was like, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And was it popular? It was incredibly popular. Then we, we've we've since taught it to all across the world it's and the country. Easier to do now. Yeah, you don't have the tape. It's now it's now much easier to do. But I don't know. I don't know if any. I think there's still groups that sometimes do it. I, I, I every city sometimes cities I travel in, people come up and be like, "Hey, we still do neutrino here." I'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." So you invented some sort of mode. Yeah, a, a is, new mode that's established. And so I was like, "Okay." I was like, here we go. This is our ticket. We got it. This is something that's never existed before. And I remember we went to the HBO US Comedy Festival with it. And then we went to Edinburgh with it. And I was like, this is going to be the test. Yeah. Going into Edinburgh, I was like, if we can make a profit here, this could be the mode of my living. Right. And we lost $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came back and I was like, that's it for me. Do you know, I can't, I can't do what, improv No one anymore. came? It was, uh, we got fucked by the woman who booked the shows. Who was that? Uh, the woman who owns the Gilded Balloon, Karen. Karen. Horn? Yeah. She 
fucked us. Yeah, I had uh, my own experience with her. Yeah, she's 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 awful. She we were booked in a fifty seat theater, which would have been great. And then Puppetry of the Penis canceled on her. Yeah, and so she came in, kind of like sold us on taking this three hundred and fifty seat theater. That no, like you have to be incredibly popular. She's like, you guys can sell it out. You guys can totally sell it out. We're like, really, really? How much more expensive is? It? She's like, it's this much more expensive. It's ten thousand dollars more. But you can sell. It. She totally fucking sold us like a snake. And we get in there every night. We had about seventy people, That's which would good. have been selling out at the fifty seat theater, right? And instead, we lost $10,000. And it broke us. It broke our souls. It was so cold and rainy, and everybody was so fucking drunk all the time. I know. I was there for a month, and I was only in a, in a small, like a 50-seater, maybe Those a 70-seater. Those are the best. Seat. Yeah. But like even that, because I went on a, I was on a two-man show, yeah. which means that you know I didn't know what was going on. I just went because I was produced. Yeah. But it was still hard to draw people, and it was relentless. Mm-hmm. And you know, after about two weeks, you're like, oh, my God, this doesn't matter. This I'm, doesn't yeah, matter. Who are these people? I'm in the they're UK just... too. No one. I come back to the United States. They're like, what have you been doing? And I'm like, oh, Edinburgh. They're like, what's that? Why were you not here? Well, if you don't want to do that thing every year and build the thing, yeah, you know, it's really a rough go. Oh. So okay, so neutrino tanks out. So neutrino tanks out, and I was like, I got to start writing. And it took me that long. It took. This is. I've been doing comedy now for seven years at this point, and finally, I and I'd always thought to myself. I'll start writing when I have something to say. That's yeah. what I always thought. And I was like, no, I need to just start writing and then I'll discover what I have to say by writing. Yeah. I wasn't like driven because I needed to say something. But you I weren't was, doing stand-up either. I yeah. wasn't doing stand-up. And so I um, I was at the People's Improv Theater and I had seen Kristen Schaal performing uh, improv a few times. And I remember I was like, okay, I, I should just start a variety show and that'll force me to write something new every week. Right. And I went to the artistic director of the, of the pit and I was like, hey, I want to start a variety show. And he's like, you know what, Kristen Shaw just asked me the same thing. And I just walked right past and I was like, hey, you want to do a variety show together? She's like, okay. And we had never <laughs> spoken. We had had one 30-second conversation. We had just seen each other perform. In and, sketch or an improv? No, in improv. And this and, before Kristen Shaw, no one knew her either. No, no, this is probably two and a half years before she got Flight of the Concord. Right. Um, and uh, then we just, and it just so happened that we really, really clicked. Well, writing style. You guys style. were like, uh, you know, you were a team. Yeah, we were yeah. a super team. What was the name of the first project? Uh, the Penelope Princess of Pets. And that was big. That was big, yeah, yeah, yeah. We made a, we made a television pilot for it in the UK, actually. Uh-huh. Um, Did they make it? No, we never made it. And, and there was there were serious flaws to the pilot. I would na- I would make it differently now. Right. But, um, but yeah, we 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 made that together. We did a lot of sketches together. We toured with it. You know, it was actually it was two years of doing. It was kind of like two years of us performing every Monday night together. And what was it? I mean, did you? But like before, you know, in the interim, did you do? Um... And you, you didn't do any stand-up? I didn't you, do any stand-up. But between, between Neutrino and, and meeting Kristen Shaw, was there other shit that you did? No, it was like that. It was, oh, yeah. I just came back from Edinburgh, and that's when we got in, yeah. into, involved and, with And so all your experience was really in improv? And, all of and, it. Yeah? Yeah. And then it was just then it was in sketch, because we were just writing for each other. Yeah. But Kristen had been doing stand-up on her own for about five years previous to that. Right. So she kind of knew from like the eating at crowd, she knew you and yeah. all the all the kids from Luna Lounge right. and stuff like that. So then they started to come do our show. Right. And that was the first time I was introduced. This was maybe six years ago, kind of introduced to the entire kind of stand-up scene, the non-club stand-up scene in New York City. Right. Uh, that I didn't know anything about, really. Right. And... um 
And so we were still doing sketch, still doing sets, and I was trying to write stuff for myself uh, and just really struggling with it. Where'd you perform it? it? Uh, I remember early doing Invite Them Up. Uh-huh. Uh, and then at my own show, Hot Tub. Right. Um, and then doing just all the little, small, weird little shows in the backs of bars and right, theaters right, and right, stuff right. like that. But it was all scripted stuff for yourself. Yeah. And then and then I really kind of got serious about stand-up probably between like five and three years ago where I was like, okay. And this was also when Kristen just exploded so much that I was like, I can't, we were, when my main performance opportunities were with her. Right. And then she was just getting so busy. I was like, I really, I need to How work How long on. did you work with her? I, we still work. We have, we have a, every Monday night we do shows together. And what's the, the dynamic? Cause I, I, I've seen some of it and it's a, you know, you're, she's, you're kind of, it's pretty classic, almost team dynamic. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're kind of a straight guy until you go over the top. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then she's always at that weird level that she's at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you always, you seem to start out the straight guy and then all of a sudden like, Oh but no, there's a flip it. Yeah. yeah he's that we're crazy both crazy. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And that's what I really liked about it. That there wasn't always a straight man, right. crazy man dynamic that it was, we were both kind of crazy, but we bounced each other out in a certain way right um and i think that's just male female right you know uh-huh and now like so you guys still work together you, you still do show weekly yeah every week every every monday where is it it's in uh it's at Littlefield in gowanus brooklyn yeah yeah and uh, <laughs> has it got a good following it's great oh yeah we've been doing it for seven years now so it's a new every it's week a beautiful show what new every week we, we try and do new material yeah i mean we have guests on but the two of us we used to write these you know, we would spend so much time writing scripts for each other to open the show with. And we would do wrap rounds where we would have a sketch in the middle, a sketch at the end that tied the whole show together. And we did that for years. And we, it was always frustrating because that first sketch, no matter if it was good or not, the audience would just be, they would just hate it. <laughs> and then we found if we just came out with nothing and just bullshitted with each other, the audience was immediately like, yeah. And I think yeah. it's just that you ramp up the Move audience the just needs up. to be ramped up right. to performance. Right. That you're going to see performance. Sure. So first, the first level is seeing someone on the stage. Second level is hearing them talk. Then the third is hearing them do some things that are kind of funny. Yeah. And then you also get, get to the funniness and then the actual first performers coming out to a warm house. And when I see you do stand-up, I mean, you're really funny. I mean, when did you really start committing to that? That was probably, um, that was after. So I went through, I think what fed the stand-up a lot was that I'd been in this 13 year relationship yeah and the way and, and and I'd actually been camping up at up at Crow the place that I go camping at is your wigwam still there uh no wigwam uh, decomposed after like two years oh good um and I you went and checked on its progress of decomposition though? oh yeah I would see it because I still go I cook camping there every every summer so yeah. I'm gonna go up there in two weeks actually and you know where it was and, oh yeah, yeah. I, go, I go look at it at the space you know yeah. it, you know anything you do on the land it changes kind of the quality of it so mm. I can kind of tell still where it used to be yeah um, but I'd been up there and been talking about you know just talk because it's like that time to reflect yeah and I was like for 13 years we've been dating and we never discussed marriage yeah we never okay. we always said well when we have kids we'll get married right. but we always kind of put it off right and I came back and you know from a camping high I've been reflecting and I was like hey you know like we should talk like why haven't we even discussed getting married yeah. and she said well I think before we do we should probably sleep with other people and uh <laughs> and I was uh and I was like and I actually thought that was a good idea. Oh yeah, sure. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, yeah, let's okay, do let's do that. That sounds like a that'll work. <laughs> yeah. And in retrospect, it was probably our weird way of breaking up with each other. But we decided to do it in this really strange way, where we decided to have a rumspringa 
uh, which is like borrowed <laughs> from the Amish, you know? Right. So, but we gave ourselves, like the Amish have two years. When they're right. 16, they decide not to right. get, they're not Amish for two years, so they decide whether or not to come back to the right. faith. So we decided to take 30 days and try and fuck as many people as we possibly could yeah. to decide whether or not we were going to get married. Right. And uh, how are your numbers? I can't, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> they were, I would say, I, what I always say is, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think I, because I'd only had sex with two people up until that when I was 31. And you were in relationships and, with them. Right, exactly. And so I think I, I got up to a normal number, I would say. Do you know what I mean? Of, of someone who had been having sex their whole life. But not in just that month. Because then it extended from one month to two months. Right, so you go a month. And we went a month and, and we met talked, up again. And, yeah, how was and she we doing? talked. How were her numbers? Uh, I think she probably had a slower get-go. She's, right. She was, she was right. I think for a, for a lady, it takes a little while for yeah. to settle in yeah. and emotionally get prepared to then go out and do right. it. Um, so I think she was just getting started doing it. Right. And she was like, I need another month. And I was like, fine with me. Yeah. But then we also started dating each other during that second month. Yeah. Uh, so we're dating each other and sleeping with other people. Yeah. And then at the end of that second month, we came together and we're like, well, what do we do? And we're like, we need to make a decision. This can't go on forever. You weren't jealous or weird or there was no weirdness? Or... No. And I think that's a big marker that the relationship was was over. Well, yeah. I, I mean, this felt, this seems like... Probably the most diplomatic way of breaking up. It I've was heard. so diplomatic, and we're very good friends to this day. Really? Yeah, we still hang out. And she's got a dude now. Uh, she's single right now. Huh. Just happenstance. Yeah. I mean, she kind of has a dude. Right. Yeah. Interesting. She's a, a comedic performer. No, 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 no. She's a journalist. Oh, just a person. Yeah, or yeah. A journalist. Just a person. <laughs> <laughs> a normie. Yeah, a normie. But uh, all right, so. Well, this is all pretty exciting. So that informed your comedy how? Well, being single for the first time, being kind of- You're all lit up. You got Truly of... alone. Yeah. But I mean, like being that loneliness, that right. deep-seated- Because being single in New York City is just like that. It's that 50-50 of like the most amazing things ever and the most amazing times and having all this crazy sex and then all of a sudden just this loneliness that just bores into you. And I think- all of a sudden, I had this world that I'd never seen before kind of open up to me in New York City. Is that and a metaphor just, for, for vaginas? Yeah, hundreds of vaginas <laughs> opening up, blossoming in the sunlight. Uh, no, but, and then I, I was just like, I, I all of a sudden had all this stuff that I, to talk about, yeah. really. Because I had always been, and this is funny, this is actually, Eugene Merman said this to me maybe like two years ago, a year and a half ago. He's like, he saw me perform and he's like, hey man, he's like, wow. He's like, like six months ago, you didn't make sense on stage, but that was pretty funny. <laughs> and that's what I was obsessed with this, like this absurdism that I that I still love to this day. But that's all it was. It was just absurdism with no heart to it. Right. And when I when I kind of had been put, starting to put myself out there actually personally on stage, uh, because I I was going through these things being alone for the first time in my life. And then mixed in with the absurdist stuff that makes me really happy. That was kind of first time I felt like it started firing a little more, uh, you know, uh, regularly. Right. So it felt like I could get that feeling of all, all cylinders going. Well, yeah. I was grounded, but then the crazy stuff. I could do the crazy stuff because I was grounded but as you, a human right, being. You had a on personal stage. narrative, and right. you could take all those tools from just being ridiculous right. and apply them to the personal narrative. Yeah, and I still love just being ridiculous. Right. But I always try and you know ground myself as a human being first. Well, it's sort of interesting that like it seems that from the beginning of your life you've got this um, 
your conception of hell was sitting alone and being depressed. <laughs> that you, do you can you attribute it because that seems to be your lifelong fear is reckoning with that feeling of existential loneliness. Yeah, I think so. Is that do you you attribute that to being an only child in a way? Yeah, I think so. I remember having a very distinct feeling that like the worst, the worst part of the day was at sunset. And now it's, I think it's the best part of the day. But the worst, because it was just such a lonely feeling. And a lot of that came from having to, because I just was, I had such a close connection with my mom. Oh, I didn't mention this. I breastfed until I was five. Huh. So that's pretty creepy. That's some Game of Thrones shit. Yeah, um, I guess that's one of those Catholic things. No one said anything to her? Like, no, I mean, a... no, for, for her, I think it was uh, this progressive notion. Do you uh-huh. know what I mean? She read all these books and done all, and I think it came from having had a child before and then being able to think about all the things she did wrong and wanting right. to do all the things right and reading all these books in the 70s that were like, the longer you breastfeed, the better it is, the better it is, you know? And so she was just like, okay, if he wants to, we'll do this until he wants to stop. So you had to decide. You actually had to say, mom, enough with this. No, no, no. It's getting weird. I would never have said that. Yeah. It was because I had to go away to visit my father. Yeah. That she's like, I remember the conversation. I mean, I never thought it was weird that I breastfed until five until I thought about the fact that at a certain point, we probably went to like a wedding or something like that where I was wearing a suit yeah. and breast, like having a formal dinner on tits. Do you know what I mean? I, that was when I recently had that thought. I was like, oh, that was weird. <laughs> that was probably weird. I have a specific memory of breastfeeding and watching Phil Donahue yeah. and asking my mom to change the channel because I was bored. Really? Yes. So you had conversations? I re- no, I remember the conversation. She's like, when you come back, the milk's going to be dried up. And I was like, fucking furious. I was like, what do you mean? No. Because it was something, you know, my whole life. I was also eating solid foods as well. You know, I well, wasn't sure. just only, but. Um, but you and, grew to rely on it. I mean, it's, I get grew uh, to rely the, on it. It's the original thing you rely on. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and so then going to my father's was this kind of traumatic situation. I remember it's like, now I got to go here. And then when I come back, there's no milk left. And this guy's making me, cause this guy's making me not have any milk anymore. And I remember always that feeling and, and his, the, the, the woman who my father was married to was awful, like yeah. horrible to me. Right. Because she just saw me as, you know, in, in, uh, you know, distraction a, a for distraction him. for him, yeah. and a reminder that he has had, you know, another life, another life. Yeah. And she was terrible. And um, and I remember always watching the sunset there, and just be like, "This is another day that oh, yeah. I'm I'm not in home." Right? There's a and woman that hates that, me. Yeah. And there's that no dad boobs. who's not who's who doesn't give a shit. He and, doesn't and, seem to pay attention. And no boobs. And no boobs. And yeah. so that. That 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 sadness, I think, has been with me my whole life. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. And do you think that, like, what have you ever read up on the repercussions of breastfeeding that long, or what they might be? Or I mean, as uh, everything I can find just yeah. says it's like just good. It makes you. I don't get sick very often. I'm very tall. I love tits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I'm very confident. <laughs> It so I, can, I recommend it. Yeah. I mean, if you can get over the creepy factor <laughs> of how fucking creepy it is. Well, it's weird because we live in a in a world now where you know breastfeeding is pretty commonplace publicly, yeah. and you know I've heard comics do jokes about like people yeah. who yeah could, that kid's a little too old for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I wonder if that if that's a thing where it's where it's like yeah I breastfeed in public, but not now because you know he's twelve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we think it's still it's over, only at home. Yeah, only at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you start to feel guilty about that, so you're not lonely anymore. Uh, you know, there's always loneliness p- moments, but now. After being single for a while, 
I embrace it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to be lonely, just go ahead and be lonely. It's that whole idea that I was talking about again of like, like you when you push against something so much, well, just giving into it all of a sudden release it releases its power over you. So now when I feel like I've I'm afraid of being lonely. I'm just like, let's just be lonely. Let's just be on our own for a little bit. Sure. And then all of a sudden it becomes, it transforms into something else. Yeah. And what, what, like when you go back and read the journal you wrote in the wigwam, yeah. back when you were originally uh, conquering this beast, yeah. what, what do you take from it? Oh, wow. How young I was, really. <laughs> what a, I mean, I really take a lot from just, it was, the, it was, it was constantly trying to be present by forcing it. Right. I didn't have a path. I didn't have something to do to lead me into that moment. Right. Because I'd still been kind of looking for that thing that I think I found in improvising. So you're constantly going, I'm watching a rock. Yeah, do it. Do it. Be be present. Be present now. And it literally took me a full month to have that moment where I was present without thinking about it and realizing that it. Yeah. And it it came through an action for me, you know, which makes sense because that's, you know, in surfing, I feel the same way. It's the one thing where just everything releases, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the you're the center of the ripples. Yeah, <laughs> it, it all comes from you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good talking to you, Kurt. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's our show. I hope you enjoyed that. I thought it was interesting. I I like Kurt. Very bright, very funny, deep guy, deep guy. As always, go to wtfpod.com if you need any WTF related thing, feelings. Uh, stuff you can get merch there you can get the app there you can get the the uh, mark and tom show there you can get on the mailing list you can get a link to justcoffee.coop get that wtf blend and i get a little on the back end of that uh, you can see my schedule if you want to clear up any uh any dates that i may have uh, misrepresented there do what you got to do it's all there get on that mailing list i write to you every week personally oh my god i hope my brain is rotting i could barely read that thing that I had to read earlier. I don't feel good. God damn it. It is hot in here though.